welcome to Talking Bottom. I'm Angela Pearson. I'm Paul Tanter. I'm Matt Brooks. Today we are delighted to be joined by a comedian, actor, author and stand-up who began in the 80s as part of the alternative comedy boom, performing at the Comedy Store. Her television credits include Saturday Live, The Young Ones, Girls on Top, French and Saunders, Happy Families, One Foot in the Grave, the sketch series Naked Video and BBC One's Absolutely Fabulous, in which she played the diffy yet lovable Catriona. Some may know her as Rich Aunt Ruby in the movie Horrid Henry, or making waves on the first series of the celebrity diving show Splash in 2013, or perhaps from her 22 days in the celebrity Big Brother house in 2017. In 2015, her comedy novel Losing It was nominated for the PG Woodhouse Comedy Literary Award, and she has since established the Comedy Women in Print Prize in order to shine a light on witty women writers. And in 2018, she performed a triumphant run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with her one-woman show, I Might As Well Say It. But our listeners will perhaps recognise her from not one, but two appearances in Bottom. First as the nurse who's having none of Richie's pleas for medical help in Apocalypse. And second as the Moldovan princess, Lady Natasha Letitia, Sarah Jane Wellesley, Obstromsky, Ponskonsky, <laughs> Smythe, 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 Oblomov, Boblomov, Dob. Helen Lederer, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here talking Bottom with us today. Lovely to be here. Very long name. My gosh. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, we'll have half say a dozen. It, say it. Dance I, for us. Oh How many people goodness. make you try and say the name? Uh, I think it. I can go Lady... Was it Lady Jane? Did nope. it start? Lady Wellesley. <laughs> Lady Natasha, oh. Letitia, and then Sarah Jane. Because <laughs> they're all they're all good words, aren't they? Mm. So do, am I making up that Wellesley was in it? Yeah, yeah that's oh, next, yeah. All yeah. oh, right. So they all do, do sound quite... They were quite clever uh, in getting the sort of upper class mm. things and then the madness. Yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, well, Helen, before we talk about Bottom, we'd like to ask a few things about your early days. Was acting or comedy what came first for you? What was, what was your sort of passion and why did you go into it? Was it drama? Well, um, I went to a, a all girls school. Um, I don't. I suppose they still have them, don't they now? But um, no one had ever gone to a, a drama school. Uh, mm. In my day, they thought it was tantamount to prostitution. I think um, <laughs> it, the, the creativity was just like a problem, an issue. Mm. And I knew that I wanted to act, but the, obviously it wasn't normal. So I always had the instinct. And then I, I always say this, but it, you, you know, if all of us think back to who, how we were in, with our peer group, there was always one funny person in our class, wasn't there? You, there just was mm. always that one. You in every group you've mm -hmm. got the funny one so in in our class i was the funny well there was two um but the other we were both fat but the other one wasn't funny um so i was <laughs> fat and funny and so i just think it was a natural place for me in in a social context to i don't know just find the funny in the moment for all sorts of reasons uh, so i think i probably was off center but i just enjoyed having a laugh so much yeah. that it took me to a better place so I was drawn to comedy and drawn to performing mm. and did you have any particular comedy heroes when you were growing up then what were your influences well when I was 10 because I'm very very old I I think it was the top of the junior school and on television at that time was David Frost uh, that was the week that was mm. and even at that age or I don't know 10 year olds kind of sussed aren't they I just knew that that was a really exciting program I just thought it was 
oh, it was just there was something about it, like a bit anarchic, uh, the grown-ups doing something irreverent. I just got irreverence, I mm -hmm. suppose. I loved that programme and I did a sketch show at school with guests and I was a David Frost character. <laughs> and I think other people, I never got into the goons because I, I, I just, that missed me generation-wise, I think. But I really liked the sort of satire sketches mm -hmm. that then led more into the Monty Python mm. world, which of course I'm sure maybe there's an overlap with you chaps that, mm. you know, in the playground, you would talk about the Monty Python sketch. So mm. I just like the joy, the joy of, of sketches really. Mm. Mm. So what was it that drew you to stand up um, in terms of actually getting up on stage and doing it? You know, you were funny at school and you were funny with your friends, but at what point do you sort of go, right, I'm gonna get up in, in front of a room full of strangers <laughs> and try this? I know, it's a really good question. And I look back and I go, that is such a leap. I mean, less of a leap now in the sense that there's evidence of more people doing it and particularly women doing it or female people doing it. I just must have wanted to do it and it was, the only way I knew to start a career. I think that's what you have to look back on. If you don't go to a drama school in the conventional way in those days, which I didn't do, then maybe that would have given me the equity card, the ticket, the normality, the auditions, mm. the infrastructure, like grown up people like, I don't know, Vanessa Redgrave or something, I don't know. That wasn't my path. So you're like most of us who, who decide they want to do something, yourself included, you go, okay, this is my goal. How do I do it? How do I get in? So it was it a career and it was the end goal, right? Because I, I read the, I read that you trained as a social worker or you also worked as a social worker. <laughs> I did because I did, uh, to please my parents, I did a sociology degree, um, but it, also there are worse things. I always say there are worse things to do than try and be a social worker because you know, you're trying to help people. I mean, badly in my case, but um, <laughs> you know, that, th that was before, I knew I wasn't where I wanted to be, but again, it's changed so much now. I mean, I was in my 20s and I did that degree and then I did the job for, I, I think, 18 months or something. I went to bed worrying about it and woke up worrying. But it was then that I went to drama school because my mm. grandmother, bless her, died and left some money. And uh, so although she was very strict, uh, she also enabled me to, you know, sort of start the dream a bit. Yeah. Mm. And people kind of like you a bit more if you say you've been to drama school. But it was a very weird, weird postgraduate one-year course. I mean, I didn't do the things that all the proper actors were doing in the coffee bar. You know, I mean, we did have leotards and stuff. But, you know, they were doing the proper three-year full Monty. Yeah. Um, but it was a... I just was f so focused on what I wanted mm. in those days. So how soon after the comedy store opening did you... Uh, arrive there and start doing slots and you were one of am I right thinking you were only one of three female acts at the time well I look at it that way I mean uh, this is a dangerous statistic because I remember when lovely Jenny Claire Jenny Claire wrote something in a book and she made the point I don't know how of there being so few and then all sorts of people <laughs> hotly said excuse me I was doing it I was doing it and then there was a kind of like little group of but generally there were less so I would say like in my year at school there were three of us like you uh, uh, French and Saunders were three years ahead they had toured Australia I think in the comic strip so that when I had started out as a double act at Pentameters with my partner Maggie Fox I remember seeing French and Saunders there 
so and we were going, oh, that's French saunters. And they were wearing white trousers and Guernsey jumpers and dressed the same, which is hilarious. So there was a kind of pecking order. But I would say chronologically, I think I'm three years behind that star group. Yeah. Or that they weren't a star group then, but they were set to stardom because of their talent but also the uh, they had um their own office michael white was producing them they had they they were championed because it was they were in the right place at the right time with the right uh, talent and what was it like performing at the at the comedy store it must have been a bit i kind of get the impression it must have been a bit of a bear pit at times yes it was a bear pit and and you look back and you just go why would you want to do that <laughs> that was the canvas you know if i just remember Again, you know, all of us, you look back, you go, I was so ambitious. I just wanted it. Mm. I didn't really know what it looked like. I just wanted more and more of, like, definite gigs. Like, each time you get a booking, it's another rung on your own mental CV, you know? Mm. So the comedy store I've done, I did as a double act. But I think I've done it. I have done it on my own. But, you know, like my friend John Hegley, wonderful poet, I don't. I shouldn't quote other people, but I mean, I don't think he had a great time even. So even kind of like cool people who can just put people down, like mm. had trouble. Would, it wasn't just being female. Did you need to have any uh, sort of pre-prepared uh, put downs for heckles up your sleeve? Yeah. Well, I know that afterwards, like the five years later of the Joe Brand ilk, you know, that that became almost sort of banter, didn't it? It became acceptable. You know, there's just sea changes of culture reflected in both performer and audience uh, reaction. Um, but in my time, people were perplexed <laughs> that a woman was coming on stage. They genuinely were perplexed and distracted by the fact that, you know, I was female, so I always wore trousers. <laughs> and, you know, we weren't... Uh, particularly glamorous like we were look we were strange looking myself and maggie fox you know we weren't there for what we looked like but we were young and female so i suppose that in itself is quite controversial <laughs> at the time because there's an assumption that you there's another agenda somewhere no. lurking i've given it a bit of thought th since but at the time i just cracked on and did it were there any memorable heckles that you got or? yeah well the the one that i was saying which is quite rude um i was just so shocked which is the thing that i'm writing about in my memoir is that this guy in the audience said helen let's see your clit right <laughs> and i just i didn't know what that was at the oh time and i know that sounds so naive but honestly i just now that's obviously common parlance isn't it but i i then had to say i'm so sorry you want to see that? like i need it repeated because i didn't know what he was talking about and it was all kind of very awkward did did he then repeat it yes i think he must have done because i just know that i didn't know what he meant so i had to because i'm a polite person i just like i like to address people i like to address a heckle you know, mm. as best I can. But, you know, that's funny in its truth. It's funny. And, but also I, I do remember after thinking, wow, that's weird. It was affecting. And, and then even years later, not that long ago, about eight years ago, I had to do a after dinner thing on a boat in Portsmouth with chartered accountants. And that was a terrible gig and nobody could see me because of a pillar in the way. But I went round to talk to the um, people and they were weird, these accountants. They did all sorts of uh, strange wanking uh, um, shape with the hands when I came up. I mean, 
And you just go, okay, <laughs> that's okay then. This is what people do. Yeah. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? People's behavior yeah. that is considered okay. And that wasn't very long ago. This is it. I mean, there's a discussion now, isn't there, that it's not okay to shout. Well, there's a new discussion. Exactly (laughs) right. There is. But I wasn't part of it. And so it is quite Mm. interesting when you, if that's just your norm, that doesn't mean to say that you're not a caring or a radical or all the right things, which, of course, we all are. You can't change the situation you're in necessarily Mm. until it becomes fashionable and acceptable to challenge it, mm. which it did, I think, a few years later. I suppose yeah. at the beginning, uh, things are a bit more adversarial and confrontational. Mm. Uh, yes. People always thought that, um, like, well, I guess when, when we were all younger, that, mm. oh, oh, don't want to be in front row of a comedian <laughs> because it's, it's you know, they'll slag me off. The people oh, right. Will back so it's sort forth. of two-way, you think. Yeah, but almost, it's, people yeah. aren't really, it's not really in fashion anymore, is it, to be that nasty and and the heckles no, it doesn't happen but when you think about alexi sale and and indeed you know uh rick and aid and i'm trying to think of nigel and um peter richardson, peter richardson less so because nigel did his more kind of odd internalized character um but that wasn't aggressive by that um but the delivery was loud and aggressive. Keith Allen was pretty... Very much so. And that, that I think, was very interesting style of comedy. But I obviously, to be authentic, to even have the balls to go and do it, in mental balls, obviously. Um, We understood, yeah. Yes, I can say that. Can I say that? I don't know. Yeah, you can. Aggression wasn't my delivery style. It may have been in my head, but it wasn't my delivery style to get laughs. Where where was it that you first met Rick and Aid? Was it at the comedy store or performing with them or elsewhere? I met Rick, although I can't remember the actual first, but in 83, I was in Edinburgh. I did my first Edinburgh in 82 in a sketch show. Then 83, I was in Edinburgh doing stand-up with Arnold Brown and Norman Lovett. And I met or got on particularly well with Rick then, in Edinburgh because that was the year where um, Rick, Andy de la Tour and Ben Elton were doing their sellout show in the assembly rooms. Mm. So we got on, we connected, we talked about comedy a lot. Yeah, we fraternised deeply <laughs> in, the, at that, in, that, in that festival. And he was at his height, you know, queues around the block. And he, I think, did his Kevin Turvey thing. I got to see it. Uh, and the and the audience went crazy. So that was like a total moment of, in comedy, wasn't it? Of what people wanted and what they were given by had, him. Had you seen his Kevin Turvey before that? Uh, had he, had, was this after he'd done it on TV? I think so. And I hadn't seen, I'd heard of it. Um, and I can't remember was where The Young Ones was at at that time. Did The Young I can't remember if, uh, I, know, I know I then did The Young Ones. I think if it was 83, it was probably between the two series because they were 82 and 84. Uh, yes, exactly. So I must have done the second series of The Young Ones then. Do you yeah. remember what you thought when you saw his Kevin Turvey? Yeah, and there were other programmes, weren't there, where he, in those days there were a few stand-up programmes where individuals were kind of showcased. They got their little slot of five minutes or they were sandwiched in another context sometimes. Mm. Like I did something called the Janet Street Chat Show 
cat show where I did my little stand-up. So stand-ups were employed in the context of other things in those days. But Kevin Turvey, yeah, I remember the Mac, the Berry. I remember it being very cool, very layered, mm. in the same way that David Frost and the sketch show was very layered. You knew that what you were getting was actually not what you were getting. You were getting something else. And I think that's why it excited everybody. Uh, so did you make friends with any of the other comic strip gang so on that edinburgh obviously well ben elton very much so although it wasn't comic strip but they they all cross-pollinated in i mean they gave me amazing jobs but not in the comic strip i was never in a comic strip because that was peter richardson and he never employed me ever and and that was like you know the first taste of oh wanting something so much and they're not getting it you know it's like oh god they're the cool group and i'm not in the cool group did you know peter richardson ever and ever say or do you ever meet him and say get me in yes i did i mean this is the other thing in those days um you know i was desperate to work i wanted to work and how it's considered i mean it isn't a very being needy is very unsexy and very unattractive i mean that in a kind of um metaphorical way but i did i mean god you I, I was the one out of maggie and me who in the double act of you know scouring the stage scouring time out i did a lot of homework i must have wanted it so badly and then thinking oh, if we write should we write in uh i just remember writing to people in those days with and I, for my memoir, I've got a poster of Maggie and my CV, and it's so desperate, like available for gigs. I think it says available quite several times on one sheet of paper. Um, so, you know, you had to push. If people have got their club and their group, why should they expand? But the thing is, I wasn't, I don't think I was a threat because I was a one-off. I kind of came as a one-off. And many occasions I was given... Uh, parts mm. in various things through the 90s I think they were great to me mm. um, but the comic strip was a group and because they were so successful they could be as quirky or as outlandish or as conventional they could just do what they want because like with Ab Fab people just queue up to be part of it yeah. and this is what happens when you have an elite a championed form of comedy it it's exciting they can they can they have a lot of power and were you performing in the double act as well as doing solo stand-up or, or did you part ways with Maggie eventually? Yes, in... well, what happened with Maggie is that I met her in an audition for a TIE, Theatre and Education job, neither of us got. And she tells me that on the station, on the way back, I approached her to work with me. Because mm. again, in those days, I, I there's part of me that does... I am an ideas person, I have to say, and it has been squashed out of me over the years um, because the career's kind of you know, 40 years is a long time to keep being that bright, eager person. But I am an ideas person. I thought, she's amazing. I just knew that we would have a laugh. I just knew she would be perfect. She was working with another double act called Lip Service. So she said she'd have to check. Mm. I didn't mind. I just thought, just, I poached her. Mm. So we were together for nine months. And that was a brilliant, brilliant time. But fair enough, she obviously wanted to go and she they lip service are going strong today they're amazing but we had nine months of it then she couldn't do a gig and we were booked at pentameters uh run by arnold brown comedian scottish comedian and i just went and did it on my own and that was when i knew well on i did a good one that one and then you have to do a few bad ones after that but then i thought again i didn't question it i thought i'll do it on my own then that's it 
Mm-hmm. And then, then it began. Yeah. Did you see Rick and Aid do the Dangerous Brothers act, of course, at the Comedy Store Live? I saw them do the Dangerous Brothers, I think, at Dingwalls in Camden Lock. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of dark, smoky event. I certainly saw them at the old comedy store i saw alexi sale i was terrified still am of alexi sale <laughs> oh he triggered something in me really scary what was it about him that you found just scary? so shouty and you know the, a wall was up uh like you weren't to know him you were to know what he was saying uh, which is very funny and clever and all that. But when off stage, really quiet. And I just assumed none of them liked me anyway. I don't think they did like me particularly because a middle class woman on her own is a bit weird in those days. So everything was a bit interpreted, I think. So you either go out with someone or have a thing with them because mm. there was a lot of sexuality about, which is all part of the scene, you know, which is really normal, I think. So you either have sex with people or they don't like you or you get ignored. Yeah. One of the three. <laughs> God, that, that's, it's a tough, that is the tough, oh, you know, to break into that industry, Helen, you know, mm. it's an incredible thing. that Because yes. I know you obviously were kind of on the outskirts, as it were, of the comic ship gang but yeah. it, it, you know to to then be welcomed into the fold a bit later in the 90s like you say like mm. it always felt to me like you know you've yeah. been in the young ones you've been in bottom you've been you know it felt to me like you were very much part of you know eventually you were part of that gang you know post comic strip days yes you know? um well it was lovely in in the that early 90s like to be given a, a, a role, you know, with a name. And I, and I was always surprised whenever I got it because I knew I was doing my own thing. Mm. And the, the wonderful thing about Rick is that he knew that. And that's why in, in when we met in Edinburgh, he really was, I felt anyway, genuinely interested in what I was doing mm. because I that's all I wanted to do. My sort of 10, 20 minutes on stage, that was everything mm. to me. So we kind of shared that. So I think I got respect at the beginning mm. because I didn't really want anything other than to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great place to be. Yeah. But it isn't for everyone. You know, it can annoy people. Yeah. I've heard that Rick was very supportive. He was obviously, you know, very much a champion of, of the female acts and said that they should all be paid the same and things like that. Yes. Um, a very kind person and modern. Or is that modern? I mean, to our thinking now, it's just common sense, isn't it? But Yeah, ahead of his time. Ahead of his time, I think you're right. Um, what would my memory anyway I mean I didn't have to be in a double act with him so Adrian would tell you if he was here in a room he was aware of the other people in the room and that's so important you Mm. can make an experience so positive by being aware of other people Mm. Uh, and and he was about positivity so much so how did you come to uh, appear in The Young Ones? You were in two episodes. You were appeared in one as a, as a bank teller and the other one as Gwendolyn. Uh, in one, one of those oh, was yeah. the summer holiday episode. How did the uh, how did those appearances come about, do you recall? I think they just asked me. I think that because they were being so looked after by the BBC, they'd have a system. And then someone, did I have an agent? I probably had an agent. And then somebody somewhere would have phoned me up to do it. Mm. I didn't have to audition or anything. They just decided, we know you from the circuit. Mm. You could play that. And also, maybe from their point of view, they wanted to people it with people from the circuit who were kind of, in quotes, 
of their genre cool, but not as not as starry as they were. Um, they probably didn't. They were probably breaking away from the the ordinary rep actor. They, why would they want those people with them? They were about anarchy and change and mm. vibe. And they got people like the Oblivion Brothers. Um, God, I mean, the the number of names that I used to gig with that were all somehow on the set <laughs> doing something like walking on and off as a policeman or a fireman or something. You know, if you look at the cast list, you go hundreds of people, <laughs> names I recognize just turned up. And I think maybe they wanted to be surrounded by mm. that group. Yeah, I suppose it was probably a continuation of Paul Jackson bringing a lot of those uh, acts onto TV in the first place in Boom Boom Out Go The Lights. And then I suppose it's natural mm. if you're kind of coming up in a scene with people, then if, you, if you're the first p people to get a TV show, it's nice and it's natural to sort of try and get your friends on it as well. Yes, yeah. I think so. I think um, certainly at the beginning, I don't know, I may be projecting this, but, you know, they got there, you know, that through hard work, through putting themselves out there, through creating their own material, all the important stuff. Um, they did get it. And I think they were, there is that feeling like, ooh, we've got it. We want to give to the guys that, you know, six months ago, we were all in the same uh, green room or whatever, pub brother, waiting to go on stage. So there is that thing where you want a bit of largesse to go to your peer group. Do you recall much of the recordings of the live shows of the young ones? I do remember, I can't, uh, it must have been at BBC TV Centre, because I just remember, like, probably everything I did was at TV Centre. That's why when all the lovers said, oh, I cried, I cried when the White City was changed <laughs> into uh, that whatever Soho house or whatever it is now, flats. There'll be that chaos of, of having the tech run, of turning up, um, getting in your costume, not speaking out, turned to people. You know, I was very much, uh, I'll just do what I'm told, you know. You know that it's a proper grown-up thing where you have a part and you have to say your lines. And and I think when I did Gwendolyn with Alexi Say, I was a medieval chat show hostess and he was the guy, the jester who spun the wheel or something, sort of Bob mm. Monkhouse type. Yeah. And I was, yes, I, I don't think we spoke. <laughs> I don't think we said much. I could be making that up and doing a complete disservice. But maybe I'm just remembering me being very oh my gosh i'm on the young ones right i just better concentrate and just do what i'm told you know yeah. no more no less god it was all around that time because i was had a really small job in a community center called interaction where the tie group was called dogs troop and a guy called chris ellis who was at manchester with rick aid and ben was in dogs troop so i was I kind of heard about the young ones and I knew that it was that that first show with the mix of with Lisa Mayer putting in her kind of more surreal. So they did, I suppose, adopt a more Terry Gilliam sort of element that, you know, was just supposed in the in the um, Monty Python. So they did throw a lot of different things at it. And some people preferred this more than others. But it it was an example of something new. And let, let's let's put it all in. Let's go with it. So it was really, the first series was like that. You were in the famous Saturday Live Dangerous Brothers kinky sex sketch as one of the prostitutes. Oh. That sketch was banned at the time. Do you do you oh. remember any of the kind of furore around that? Oh. I know Channel 4, I think the censors said that it couldn't be broadcast. So it, wow. So he, well, I think it got broadcast, but it certainly didn't come out on video for a long time. It's now on the DVD. Is it? Yeah. I would You're, love to see that because I think there's a photograph where I know that I probably had to not wear a lot 
um, a Basque or something. And I'm, I've never been a slim person at the best of times, but, and it, that wouldn't be something that I personally would feel comfortable doing, but obviously you just do it. There were three of us on, a, I remember a photograph of on set of the three of us dressed as, it was Carla, Carla Men, ben, Men, Mendoza, Men, yeah, and Christine Ellebeck, I think. Oh yes, the name um, rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wonder what we did. I can't remember what we did. Well, I wondered whether you'd had the call from Rick that he wanted your services for oh, the oh. afternoon, and that's why you'd said yeah. Uh, well, I would have said yes. Uh, um, well, yeah, Rick, Rick's in a sort of nurse's outfit, strung up to a ceiling, waiting to be, you know. Oh my goodness! <laughs> submissive, I think. Oh. And then, but you guys turn up and. Obviously, Eddie comes back and oh, you know, and what fi- do we finds do? Rick's plan. You, you're all just kind of on the sofa. I don't think you don't do anything too kinky. That's it's really quite tame by I today's standards. I wonder why it I was banned. Just, probably, probably just because it was a bit rude. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and when uh, that was in the eighties, but so he was obviously yeah so he was doing something quite extreme because the thing <laughs> about them is the more extreme, the more kind of physicality, the more you know like fire dropping through floor or whatever <laughs> you know they loved it they, they did a lot of that that mm. um but, but you don't remember that being banned oh, then you don't remember no. any of the i have to find out about that now that's quite good but <laughs> i just wonder what we did if we said anything we just sat about on a sofa being there's, tamed there's a reference to bondage and things oh. like that but there's nothing over i mean obviously rick is strung up to the ceiling in a nurse's outfit it's a little bit risque wow. you know um... and you see now they wouldn't do that you see all those all those kind of let's call them flights of fancy shall we um would not would uh, would currently have connotations that people would consider not helpful wouldn't they now Mm -hmm. so it's an interesting time where you go go into your imagination go into your head just do that or let's let's all dress up as trolls or let's be naked as hot water bottles but so whatever you know that they would that would happen you would just do it do you think there was more freedom to just kind of let your imagination run wild yeah because comedy you know, it. I mean, c- comedy doesn't work, but, it, you know, unless you kind of go there, like really go there, I don't see how you can make people laugh. Mm-hmm. The shock um, element. The shock yeah. element, the surprise element. Now, that's not to say we're, well, I think we're in an important time, but I um, had to do a job last week and looked at some of my old material. And I was thinking, I can't use the jokes. Um, it was staggering. I was thinking, oh my goodness. Luckily, there was a power cut, and I um, managed to sing Kumbaya, which got a lot of laughs. But I couldn't legislate for that. I was thinking, thank God I can do something. No, it, we're at a very interesting time right now. But anyway, that's more about recognition now, I suppose. And, and you know, as you, I think you've said before in interviews, being more respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it certainly, certainly it, it feels like there's a few parameters that you really have to consider. Now you have when to you, consider them. Writing, yeah. And it's nice looking back to, is it an innocence? I don't know. But it, it, that um, in those days, what people I think loved about Adrian and Rick particularly was just the energy, the things that would break, the smashing things, being out there, rude, anarchy, physical anarchy. That's what people wanted. Sort of grimy, dirty, physical anarchy is what we got from them. (laughs) Do you have any stories of any crazy anarchy on set or behind the scenes, anything being smashed up, broken, or 
any of the wild parties that you're legally not allowed to talk about? <laughs> well, I know that when I did the bottom episode, but this was just an accident. I think Adrian had mashed potato. I think he was. I think that was the considered a cordon bleu meal for someone like myself who is um, a rich Moldavian someone yes it's or, caviar and mash okay caviar and mash excellent um, and you know it was inevitably it didn't come off the spoon and then we had to do a few takes and I think that made its way into the outtake thing oh fluff. Mm. That, that made yeah. no uh that, that made it into the final cut, the, the mash not coming off the spoon. And he just puts it down. On, I, yeah. I thought that was scripted. I, yeah, yeah. Was that was that a fluff? Was oh, that, that was a fluff because oh, wow. um, it didn't happen and it went on for a while. You're going, ooh, now what do we do now? Yeah. But I knew that, again, because of my very good behaviour, thinking I'll just stay put. I'm not going to do anything. These are the men. They're doing the thing. I mustn't move. <laughs> um, do not react. <laughs> Somebody will tell me in a minute <laughs> what to do. Um, but I think that did make it into what an outtake mm. thing. Yeah, no, as I, well. That's fantastic. <laughs> so while we're on the subject, of, we've got on the subject bottom now. Let's uh, let's delve into your your character. Um, one thing I, it's always confused me uh, from a young age: how did the nurse? become lady natasha are they uh are they related in some way or they <laughs> is it uh, are you undercover as a nurse or is it two completely different people i think we're two different people <laughs> to be honest <laughs> different episode yeah i can't remember what happened in the nurse actually wasn't barbara windsor in the episode when i was a nurse oh no 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 liz that's liz smith, um, liz smith. As, as the fortune teller yeah i think you're no, remembering filthy because in... oh, yeah. you are a nurse in that as well oh yes I, yeah. do you know i've been a nurse so many times in naked video which was 84 was it uh, that was a sketch series bbc scotland did i was always a nurse <laughs> always a nurse in those days the jokes were freemasons and being a nurse <laughs> so I just got used to being in a nurse, but you can try and be a funny nurse, but um, mm. that was normal. But I suppose storytelling in Sketchland has to be, you know, I understand mm -hmm. uh, there has to be uh, cameos or mm. slash stereotypes <laughs> to be funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in you're, you're great as a nurse in both Filthy <laughs> and, got, and in now. Bottom. But um, yeah, in Bottom, you're having a lot of back and forth with Richie, who's trying to, you know, wangle his way in for an appointment, even though he's not on the list. You know, so there's a lot oh. of banter between him pretending he's a certain name and you, you know, know that's like you died this morning you oh know, change you... sex you know like, Is that what he's, I just, he's just yeah. reading the mm. names off your your sheet and you're okay yeah. <laughs> you're you're playing the secretary brilliantly okay that's it it's coming back now <laughs> yes so again they i am the feed you know mm. i am the straight person which is how it should be it's they're the stars they're the the crazy they're you know they're the ones who are mm. breaking the rules you get great sarcastic lines though yeah. like your I? lines are the sarcastic it. bit you're you know you're putting him down yeah. at every step you you're, know you're, 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 nice. you're the straight person but you do get a, a good few sort of digs in at the end mm. and then at the end he, he sort of he gives you a little tap on the cheek yeah, that puts blood, puts puts blood all over your face <laughs> and then uh, and then walks off because oh. he's, he's just done something to get blood on him. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. what, what do I do when... With you the play blood it really on my face? straight. You just... Yeah, like you've not noticed there's blood yeah. on him. Yeah. Just quite <laughs> fake. So I don't know if maybe he, you didn't know that 
there was <laughs> oh, going to be blood in your face. Well, it wasn't going to affect yeah. me if I did. How funny. <laughs> so, no, that's nice that they wrote those lines. Yeah. So that's yeah. all credit to that the modernism that they would allow other people to get the laughs that mm. you're mm. this you're remembering. You're picking up on that. They mm. wrote them. They wrote it all. Yeah. Mm. Well, and so they must. Obviously, you knew them anyway, but they must have been impressed sufficiently because you did that episode in the first series, and then the second series rolls around and you're the one of few people to return in another episode of bottom but one of we th think we think possibly the only person to return as a, as another character oh uh, as lady natasha oh well, that's um, cheered me do, up do you recall <laughs> how that came about was there just another you got a call from them yeah. and said we want you to come back and do something else or yes in those days as i remember it you would get i i got a call for that i mean thinking about when i was in happy families that was written by ben elton uh, because i knew ben uh, I would see him occasionally on the circuit and everything. Oh, he was way above me, sort of comparing the comedy store. But I remember we all went round to Ben's flat to do a read-through of Happy Families. So I felt very... I mean, I was so excited to be in it, but it was it was more collegiate mm. uh, in that sense. But going back to the, um, the bottom thing, I just remember... Here, this is your job turn up do this do you know if was lady natasha written for, specifically for you well i don't know i mean i'm very as you do you know in those days you don't think you just do yeah. you just jump in and you do i remember going for a costume fitting going oh my god this dress there is no bodice i mean like it wasn't even a bodice there was and then i remember in the first scene where they go to the dating agency played by wonderful lisa maxwell they then say that the person they need has got to have big jugs <laughs> in the script or whether that would be allowed no obviously not um and so that's what i i don't don't think i have particularly big jugs uh, even then or you know that's not what i'm known for i don't think but um what what was interesting was the dress the costume person then had to make the dress very revealing for the jug element so there was a continuity so maybe a little fantasy here rick decided to place me in the situation is it allowed to say this where there was a jug situation i don't i have no idea but uh, from my point of view it was very much, uh, you're told it's cast, it's a name, you turn up, that's what you do. Do you think they were leaning on your Czech heritage when they <laughs> made her an Eastern European princess? Oh, do you know, that's interesting, isn't it? Because the accent, <laughs> the, the bit of a hybrid Middle European accent, because of course, yes, my grandmother, my grandmother, she she was stoic, or like this, <laughs> like, a, like a male, but very like this. So I suppose I grew up with accents in the home. So yeah. that the European accent was kind of normal. <laughs> um, that was nice to jump into that accent. I, I don't know whether it was Russia, Bulgaria. Uh, who knows <laughs> what it was. It's a brilliant accent. Did you base it on anyone then or it just kind of came naturally well, to you I'm, then because you've grown up? With... I've grown up. My grandmother had a very, very strong accent because mm. she was half German, half Czech. So she didn't really know who she was. And so then coming to England, she had a very strong accent that was just a mix. Mm. And my father got rid of his accent because he came to school when he was a boy here. But you could hear it a little bit, a mm -hmm. tiny bit. Like people say, why does your dad talk funny? <laughs> it, was, it was just a slightly <laughs> clipped accent. But the grandmother, she was full Monty. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> it was embarrassing when you were growing up <laughs> with that kind of accent and did Rick and Aid give you any notes on the character then at all or did you interpret the script with that or did they ask, you know did they give you a 
you know, any direction on that. Yes. So I remember what I remember because I knew Rick nicely. I knew him well. And and from Edinburgh time, he did say to me, I think in the tech run, uh, don't crash the laughs. <laughs> I thought, OK, oh, my God, no, I must not crash. It. Oh, my God. So that's probably another reason why you see me being very still and just like not <laughs> very emotionless, like just saying my lines because I was thinking I mustn't crash the laughs. And there was a kind of exchange where he says, do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? And I go, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And so I just have to kind of make sure I mustn't crash the laughs because Rick told me not to. Was that difficult during the live recording? Because a lot of people who have done the show have said, that the audience for bottom especially even when they've done a lot of other sitcoms the audience for bottom was very very raucous and mm. you got big laughs was that difficult then when you've got you've got the audience and every, <laughs> everyone wants to hit it first time oh yeah not to step on the laugh at the absolutely end. and that's probably why he told me to do that yeah. thinking about it you're saying that because yeah they obviously they that's how they would work they'd be crazy before the take you know they'd sort of bold into the studio crazy crazy big big loud stuff audience love it you know reciprocal stuff they can whip them up so you do want to kind of get it first time if you can mm. and I, I can't remember I'm sure I'm sure we did um <laughs> but then I remember then we had to change set uh, rooms in the studio because then I can't remember this much but I had to then go into the bedroom didn't I to seduce him yeah um, to and, seduce Richie what's an easy job <laughs> and oh god and that was just a, yeah no it's coming back to me now and I do remember rehearsing it and you know you just go okay just got to jump in here haven't you? just do it <laughs> just not get too self conscious Bye told us about a, a deleted scene where uh, Richie prematurely ejaculated Oh, do you remember this? Uh, what was that with me? Yes. Uh, oh no, no. I think this was this was actually <laughs> this would be before you enter the bedroom. So Richie's there on his own with a Joy of Sex book, yes. and he's okay. And then and then you knock on the door, and so the, in the in the <laughs> in the show he says, "Oh no, I think you say something like, are you ready to go?'" And, and he says, "Medically, the chance are against." He looks down and says, "Medically, uh, the chance yeah. are against it," which means he's just jizzed. So yes. Sort of still there, but apparently well, it, was it a is bit there because more... he says, "I've got to change my pajama bottoms." Doesn't <laughs> he? Yeah. But um, the, thing, the thing Ed by said the thing that was cut was. Rick's, Rick's, I think basically Rick's cum face. They yeah, had to, they, they couldn't have him ejaculating on national television, so they had to cut that. Oh, what a shame. That would have been glorious. Do you, do, you, do you recall much of rehearsals? I do remember rehearsal, that thing where you, where, as I say, you, you just have to go for it to look professional. I mean, nobody wants to look like embarrassed or silly, do you? I mean, that it was very important to me when you're casting those things, you know, I was, I always assume everyone is superior to me. That's like my, I, I'm still like that with everyone, you know, uh, uh, most comedians are like that. They, we have real kind of issues with our personalities, you know, I mean, so I have kind of inferior superiority conflict, you know, a, a mix of both of those. And um, so I had to make sure that he, he just led me, you know, mm. you just do the best job you can. And because Rick is so so dynamic and just so full of ideas, and he just made it easy. You just go. All I have to do is just do this, and it and it will be brilliant. Because mm. he is a leader. He's a leader. It's funny because you seem in control in a lot of that, those scenes. You, you know, you're, but he you're, would put you're me so, there. Oh yeah, you're. You know, that's the that's the. You know, he would put me there. He would know what he wanted, <laughs> and then you know, years, years, years later. The last job I did with him was a radio play, I think in 2000. And that was really interesting. I know we're jumping about, but 
you know, I, I remember, I just, it was so lovely to be with him, even though he'd had the accident by then, yeah. shouted a lot because he couldn't hear so much, but it was fine. We all just <laughs> all shouted a lot. It was great. <laughs> and I just, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he is a unique, a unique player, person. Unbelievable. When you got the script and saw that, A, you were in such a huge chunk of it and you had a sex scene with Rick Mayle, I mean, <laughs> was that, <laughs> how did that feel well, to, when you got hold of that script? But it's interesting because when you look back, I think because I just took myself very seriously in those days and and because I was always on my own, apart from when I was in the double act, mm. I just, um, I turn up and just try and do the job. And I don't think I was um, chuffed. I mean, I'd already connected with Rick before off scene um from edinburgh so i kind of knew him in that way mm -hmm. and so it was a, a case of just being very professional but what i loved about rick is that he would or he was a very modern man he was a gentleman and he would just kind of give a nod and a wink mm -hmm. to any past <laughs> so he wouldn't hide anything you know some men would it would he was just so open um and uh but I didn't know. I didn't think, oh, lucky me, I've got a sex scene because I probably already had that. It's the most unsexy <laughs> sex scene, really, isn't it, in the end? But your off-camera strip is is pretty legendary. God, I, I can't mean, remember Do you that. remember that? I mean, I don't know. You were off-camera, so, but I, I, like Rick's reactions oh, to you throwing various items yes. at him. I had, did I... Did I go behind a screen or something? I think you you're off camera. Um, we're yeah. just watching Rick getting various bits of lingerie <laughs> yeah. and things thrown My over God. him. Is it just some... Uh, not extra. Is it some runner just throwing Possibly. things at him? Who knows? I wish I could remember. It, it's sort of coming back. Um, but he, again, you know, Rick would have told the story. I mean, mm. the, you know, the impact it's made on you, you know, all through his expression. Mm. Oh, amazing. I've always thought it was very clever because, I mean, you know, minimal nudity. There's, you know, you don't see anything at all with it being BBC, even <laughs> after the watershed. Um, it's quite respectful, really, um, you know, the happened? way they, they do handle it. I mean, what happened in that scene? That So I took my clothes off. But you're completely off camera doing that. And then it's just you in, in bed. So you just see your just, shoulders just really your lifting up from behind the, oh, the, the okay. duvet, you know, or the, the, the sheet, oh, the, and do we <laughs> the dirty sheets. You know? Do we consummate it? Well, no, no. Rick keels over. <laughs> he, the deed is he's, done. He, he's he's about to he's oh. about to jump on and then clutches his chest chest and collapses oh, to the yes. floor and tries to sort of blow you a kiss as, as he falls. <laughs> Just amazing that you see that is the tragedy, the tragic comedy, the ultimate tragic comedy, um, isn't it? Mm. Just like so symbolic. Yeah. yeah. So can you describe what happened? Uh, not in reality, obviously, but within the characters. In that moment when Richie is, has fallen over, is having a heart attack, you were in bed. Yeah. The next thing we see, they're <laughs> in hospital when you've shagged Eddie at some point. So at some point, you <laughs> yeah. have... Well, yeah. Well, what would I, you think happened? Uh -huh. So, well, obviously, was the character in need of some... They, they thought I was rich, and obviously I wasn't. Is that right? It's so I was like after that. it. Yeah, that's... Number, you slip... You say someone, oh, I, I would be after you, uh, be interested, but not because my family that's it. it's not because of that yeah <laughs> okay um clearly i am amoral if they're um and well, how just... have you been fooled by this man is so clearly on the take it's you know it's so funny isn't it it's, it's yes. so obvious you're, you're... that this guy's full of shit i think both your characters are pretending yeah. to be of rich stock yes um, that's it that's it it's a double mm -hmm. bluff we're yeah. both pretending mm -hmm. and again in the writing they 
they you know make themselves cuckold don't they 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 do that a lot mm. i mean they do all this for them to be the fool mm. i mean i read somewhere very potentially because i can't really remember it but they apparently they're fans of samuel beckett and like two guys you know talking about absurdity so it's kind of absurd but also they are the losers always mm. so the joke is always back on them so lady natasha was the one who just um yeah so i was i assume yeah and it was such a betrayal then that of the other eddie would yeah. just go oh well i'll have a bit then <laughs> and clearly i obviously offered it my word <laughs> well you you were onto him and up his trouser leg like a whippet i remember that the oh promise yeah God. <laughs> God. do you i mean do you get people shouting quotes at you in the street and, and you're bemused or do, well, you, do you recognize them uh, now talking about it now it's it really is quite vivid which is interesting i because i'm one of those people i don't know i don't know who i am or what i represent to anyone i just don't i just sort of crack on but it is interesting that if people do sort of talk to me it's a lot of them were probably at university at the time and just they said oh I get a lot of people saying I mean, this sounds so boastful and I'm not, but you know, they had a crush on me from bottom. And mm. then I go, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so now you have to see me now. You know, I haven't got, I haven't got my frock on. <laughs> um, but I think it must have conjured because as you've described, a whole scenario, a lot, there's a lot of shoulder, a lot of decollete and a lot of sex. And I was that I happened to be cast in that mm. moment, so maybe that's what triggered mm. people's interest mm. and their fantasies. <laughs> do, you, do you ever get people quoting lines back to you either in the street or tweeting them at you or anything like that? Well, I oh, oh yes, I do on the Twitter because I'm so rubbish on the Twitter that people go, oh, that's a very nice blouse you're wearing. <laughs> I get that, um, which I I just is just you know you laughed. It's like. It's just the use of words is just so on it. It's just on it. And that's the joy, isn't it? Like with proper comedian or comedians that I consider that you connect, you go, oh God, you've nailed it. Thank yeah. you so much for using that word in that way. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's adorable, isn't it? Yeah. Do, you, uh, do, you, do, you, do you ever have people quoting stuff at you and you and in the moment you think, I have no idea what this is from. I yeah. know they're quoting something because <laughs> of the way they're saying it, but I, uh, I can't remember for life miracle what this is from. I can't remember a lot of it, but I think if I like if I Googled it more. But again, I'm one of these people who don't watch myself mm. back when I've done something because I don't because I can't make it any better. So and it's a bit naked looking at one's face and stuff. So I I obviously have seen some stuff. It'd be a lie, but I don't. I know it's more professional to look at what you've done so you can, in quotes, learn from it. But I go, oh, it's just done. Move on. <laughs> when, you're, when you're shooting something, you're not an actor who likes to look, who likes no. to watch the tape. Oh, my God, no. no. I have no interest. It's... And I barely even know where the camera is. Okay. You know, you get there are some <laughs> actors who, who who know a lot about that and yeah. and ask for... So, and I know I should... I, I think I like to be in denial about it because I just like to be in the moment. And I mean, that comes from being in stand-up. You mm. just go, I just have to be in the moment. I don't care, I don't, you know, I don't want to get distracted by these other things. Does that help when you're in a multi when you're in a sitcom and there's five cameras, so you don't know which one's on you, rather than if you're shooting a, a, mm. a single camera thing where you know the camera's yeah. there? Does it help then? I guess in something like that, people will, I will be told yeah. uh, how to play it or, you know, I, I will be made aware of the angle so I don't sort of turn my back to the camera but um that that would be really nice to do stand up without having to look at the audience that would be my ideal <laughs> I think 
I've noticed other actors incredibly conscious of it and I find that a distraction and I always get disappointed when you're with that kind of actor you go oh god mm. it's all about the look whereas I think I just have to be in it in my head and that's why I don't like to look at afterwards because I can remember being there in my head and I think oh I could have done it better yeah I'm very horrible to live with can you imagine how neurotic <laughs> <laughs> that would be <laughs> Do you like to rehearse a lot before doing something, or do you, or are you, are you like, no, let, let me just wait until I'm opposite the actor doing the take, and then, and then it, it's a bit more real. I think in those, I, I think I've learned to get better at rehearsing, again because of the stand-up, because it's so immediate. Um, but rehearsing is good, but with comedy, and that's why with uh, Rick and Aid, their relationship, you know, they, they, they've got both of their own individual talent and then the combined talent, you know, how exciting for them to mm. see what would happen. Yeah. I mean, I just did a recent ordinary TV job in Doctors. I mean, um, hasn't been that much. Um, Were you a nurse? Uh, was I a nurse? Good question. <laughs> Actually, what was I? No, I was a bird watcher randomly. But anyway, and... The, yeah the rehearsing can get with something like that you know you're on a guest actor is on and then off and you've got to hit your mark and you've got to say your lines yeah. so to expect to rehearse is kind of a bit unrealistic as right. well yeah. when you were shooting the episode uh, all the episodes on Bottom we've heard that Rick would get very very nervous before uh, before recording yes I'm well you saying that it makes sense I, I don't vividly remember that but I know the kind of character he was would would be nervous um, because he had to carry so much. I mean, like him going on stage as Kevin Turvey and just going, you know, what? You know, the audience would go crazy and then he would do nothing. Mm -hmm. And that isn't straightforward. So you, you have to cite yourself up into that sense of being to play that audience. Mm -hmm. So it, it just doesn't just happen. You've got to be it. And I think nerves, I mean, I've suffered from nerves. I call it suffering because you just think like a long time I used to get so nervous before I go on. What is interesting now as an older person is actually that has uh, gone away, uh, sort of about 60% gone away, which is fantastically freeing mm -hmm. um, because nerves, you need nerves, but they can also inhibit you. Mm -hmm. So it's quite nice to go, I'll sort it, I'll just be if people get it you know your timing is so much better if you don't have that inhibitory oh how is this going to come across then you kind of lose all your timing do you think you suffer less from nerves because as you get older you don't you care less about whether people uh don't like it mm. or that kind of thing it's yes of, it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me now because if, if they don't like it, it doesn't matter well i still mind if people don't like me but right. sometimes if i'm in a bad mood i can make people not like me so i can do that um <laughs> i've did that quite recently so maybe that's something about being old but yeah i mean a, a whole thing about being a comedian is like me uh, because if people like you they're more likely to laugh if you're scared of someone you you, you might appreciate them but you're not going to laugh and a comedian is fed by the laughs their effectiveness is oh was that a good night did people laugh or was that a very quiet night mm. that equals bad i would assume it would be from the lady natasha episode if there was one but do you have, do you recall a favorite line or a favorite scene that you uh, from your time and experience doing bottom um well i do like the bit when uh, we were um in the kitchen the grungy kitchen and he was i think i think he was on the sofa and i was on the table on an upright chair and he was going question after and when I just when he said will you marry me and and then I went yes and he says huh huh is it what do you do yes uh, and, and then that 
that was lovely. That was a really and nice. she understood the question. <laughs> <laughs> it was just weird. It was kind of slightly out of body because I put no inflection in my reply. It was... Um, it was mad. It was lovely. Yeah. Well, because he asked if you believe in sex before marriage. Oh, yes. And would you practice right. it? Yeah. Oh, yes. That's just, right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And he's getting more and more excited. Right. <laughs> and so I was like this kind of automaton, middle European sort of, uh, you know, almost doctor figure who would just provide what he wanted. Yeah. Because you think he's rich in your. Yes, his... exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get to keep anything from the set at all? Those I got earrings. The dress. Always... Have you got the I got dress? The dr- I have the dress. Wow. Oh, you're not wearing it today. No, I could not get into the dress. <laughs> that, that very reason. And there was a very wide skirt. So you couldn't get through doors easily. Did did the, did they know that you took it, or did you just nick it at the Good end? Good question. And I try and remember. And they may have made me pay for it. In those days, you could, you were allowed to. Uh, cut, you know, if you liked your costume, you're allowed to sort of get a deposit, you know, what's the word, a discount. So I may have got it as a discount, but I do remember the costume lady making it. Mm-hmm. I, and it was maroon and velvet with lots of flowers around the top and just yards and yards of net underneath. As as you said, it does emphasise your but your yes. quite epic jugs in that oh episode, allow, allowing <laughs> you to even you know pop a, pop a polo down there. Um, <laughs> d- did you um, did you have any input into it at all, or was it a sort of a surprise on the day of here you go, this is what you're this exposing. is your kit. Yeah. Um, I again, um, the costume lady had obviously thought there must be some jug reveal. Um, it it wasn't the kind of dress that you could then usefully take away and go to a debutante's dance in <laughs> just because the frock was big, the bottom bit was big because it was so revealing. It was created like it was a bit odd mm. that dress was a bit odd let's face it yeah. <laughs> like the character is exactly yes well exactly. we've talked a bit about the costumes and, and you know um richie and eddie obviously wear very similar costumes but that's one episode where they're in different costumes you know they're obviously trying to impress and you know richie's got his best on and i've often wondered whether that's her only outfit that's all she's Probably. left with, you know, of her family, or, uh, uh, you know, impoverished. <laughs> yeah. um, and she's turned That's up in the only thing her she, work she has left. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yes, it was very <laughs> mad. Um, and the big earrings. And then I think I had false eyelashes. I don't know. I think I just let them do it. Mm. I think that was very much who I was at the time as well. I think I'm probably still like that. Mm-hmm. Like even in Ab Fab, you just go... Oh, just put me in the whatever jacket. Just here I am. Just put me in it. Yeah. Just because I, I just thought it was so much about costume that I, I if I started worrying about how I would look, then I that it would take for me that wasn't helpful. I just and then some of the hairstyles and the jackets. You just go, no, that's fine. Just mad. Do it. Yeah. That's fine. People are still asking you questions about Bottom 30 years later. Mm. Did you ever have any idea just how popular it would be when you were doing it? No, again, uh, at this time, I can't remember where I was at. There was a very condensed time in my career where there were a lot of jobs. You know, I was working, probably doing something all the time. I do remember that time. And it's interesting to think about other actors. And is that normal for actors? Or there are only some people at the, you know, like I imagine Jennifer and Dawn, are working all the time. But I think they're quite rare, those people, I think, but I could be wrong. Maybe mm. it's just me. Um, that's why, you know, I write, or I want to write anyway, but I, I work hard, but I don't do this. There isn't a, a period of time where you're just constantly in work. And then you just, like, if you watch 
I don't know, TV programs now, you go, oh, I recognise that actress, but they may not have been in anything for years. And that is normal in the mm. acting world. Can't remember what the question was. What was the question? Oh, uh, did you uh, did you have any idea of how how popular Bottom would be? Did you get much of a reaction to it after the episode, for example? Did you get much fan response? Oh yes, I did. I think I did. Again, from the younger men who <laughs> were students. On behalf of someone who was a younger man at the time, I I can only apologise. <laughs> what was the turnaround time from when you recorded and for when it came on um, TV? Uh, I, I, I think it was something like eight months or something or quite soon, six months, eight months. I think I could be wrong. Yeah, it was something like that. But I think that the bottom thing recognition then went through another cycle of being shown on repeat. So, again, if the BBC decides to show things, they that's quite powerful. Mm. Um, just to, And then TV Gold, uh, who watches all, all these programmes were on repeat. So you go, oh, has that been out? Or has Ab Fab been out again? Mm. And then... So I'd be out and about and someone would recognise me and think, it must be because it's been on. But I'm not, honestly, genuinely, I don't, cons I just got on, did it. It's very nice if people loved something or loved that comedy. I understand why they loved it because Rick is so funny. I understand why it was so special and a relief to have those comedy programmes. Yeah. I get it. What do you think is the secret to... Rick and Aid's longevity and success and things can you put into words? Well, possibly because they met, I think I'm right in saying, at Manchester. So they okay. met at that very sort of seismic time of being, a, you know, a student, right? So they knew each other. They go back. So they could probably tolerate each other's foibles. Uh, just that's really helpful, isn't it? If you have a history with someone. And they must have just, I've heard this, make each other laugh. Mm. I mean, I think that's how Jennifer and Dawn have carried on and endured. If if somebody, if you go, oh, I really want to be with that person because I've got to tell them X and I want to know what their reaction is, what joy is that? So mm. I think they just had that. Yeah, mm. the, the double act mm. to be able to bounce off each mm. other, you know, it, it's something that does come up time and time again mm. in comedy, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. So. You've got to be interested in the other person. Yeah, you've got to be interested in the other person, I'm, and I think they must have been. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been. Uh, people have said to me, you know, you like Bottom, you know, that's a very <laughs> that's a very masculine show. You know, uh. and do you do you think that you know Rick and Aid, you know, got a bad rep for for being you know sexist at the time or anything? I mean, obviously it was mm. all ironic, but people who didn't get that, you know, would would you say that Bottom is mm. is a sexist show, or would yeah, you say that actually they were involving a lot of well, I mean, as we've discussed about the lines, you know, like with the nurse, I mean, the nurse got a lot of power mm -hmm. in that exchange. So I think um, I don't think it occurred to them. I don't think because they're modern, uh, modern thinkers who all the the alternative comedians, for instance, came after the ones before who would possibly be of a different political persuasion and go off and play golf. You know, that the, these people were were of a different belief system mm -hmm. and that would spill over in their attitudes and their behavior and their, you know, characters. So mm -hmm. I don't think as people, they were kind of sexist people at all. Mm -hmm. um, and as we said earlier, you've got to jump in and go for the kind of comedy that turns you on. Mm -hmm. And if, and they did, yeah, you know, it's very, it is powerful and physical, 
is that sexist? No, not really. I think they were reaching for the funniest language they could find. Yeah. And, you know, big jugs. Like that <laughs> that is funnier than Because it's forbidden words. Any other words. Yes. Really. You know, like it's not aggressive particularly. It's actually quite immature, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and... It is exactly right. It's um <laughs> the words that all adolescent boys would probably <laughs> say when they're reading their whatever uh, when their mothers aren't looking, you know? It's it's uh, it's easily recognized. Tr- trigger words. What do you think about their comedy makes them unique? Do you think it's the, the cartoon violence or the the uh, the nihilism that pervades mm. the, that pervades bottom? I think it is the nihilism. I think um, that is comedy. It's going going to the dark, going to the nothing, going to the bit that we don't uh, say. Mm. Like comedy is supposed to say the unsayable, isn't it? It's the only thing we have that will make us not feel alone. Mm. I, I've given this some thought as you can tell i think it's freeing us up to just laugh at not just slapstick i think it's just quite quite layered really as i say it's not one-dimensional i remember you were you're way too young to remember this when i was growing up there was somebody called harry worth now my dad used to love harry worth and he was kind of like slapstick and in those days you know he did a sort of he'd trundle along and fall over and stuff so this was very different Hmm. falling over you know and very energized and crazy but i think they just made us be able to laugh at the bit in ourselves that we um that we didn't know was there but then they opened it up for us to Hmm. know that it was there that's their power they've it's been said in interviews that they sort of semi-based the bottom on uh, Steptoe and Son. Richie and Eddie, like Steps and Son, are kind of at the bottom of life's heap. Mm. Do you think, how important a part do you think class pay, plays mm. in British comedy? Well, it's a factor, uh, depending on what genre of comedy. I mean, you know, interesting how Michael McIntyre did so well with his content and he was middle class. Mm. Um, you get very, uh, traditionally, you don't get many middle class women comics, but then latterly you got, well, you got me. Um, I couldn't change how I spoke. Uh, Miranda, very um, middle, upper middle class. But largely as a comedian, you want to represent the populace and open up the waves for the audience to not feel alone. So, you know, it would be odd to have like the Queen doing a routine yeah. because you'd know <laughs> oh. that they probably hadn't d- had the similar life to you and wouldn't be able to feed back your experience. So class does play a part, mm. but it just plays a part. Um, as Basically, you could extend that to go, as long as you are real yeah. and human, then that should land as well. Can I just say, I would love to see on Christmas Day the Queen <laughs> do a solid 15 minutes yeah. instead of the Queen's speech. <laughs> yes, yeah. stand up. So it, it, well, as much as weird it would be, it would be funny. I think. It, well, that's what we've put our finger on, what is funny, because it's the incongruity. Mm. It's the incongruity, the juxtaposition of opposing elements, basically. Mm-hmm. So that is maybe i mean i don't know how incongruous they are because the two of them it's almost like with like but it's them against the world so they're kind of yeah it's a mix isn't it it's a mix yeah. it's fascinating yeah you mentioned the comparison or the link between rick and a's work and waiting and um, samuel beckett yeah earlier. we did recently did an episode talking about waiting for godot mm. in relation to bottom which they did on stage at university and then in 1991 they also did it on stage at the queen's theater yes they did yeah we won- and we wondered if you had a ch- if uh, the, if you saw the show if if you saw them doing it at the time i didn't see the show but i knew that they were doing it and it isn't a, a surprise that you get 
you know, because it is absurd and nobody quite knows, you know, are they waiting? Who are they waiting for? But it is just that time passing, mm. just the minutiae. That's the humour that you make nothing funny. Did they talk about um, the, the play the, and Beckett often? D really did they uh, oh did they um not to me <laughs> um but i um i think that uh waiting for goddard has been done by a lot of male kind of pairing obviously there has to be, it's like incarcerated incarceration in nothing and like the two of them are incarcerated in that grungy house you know trying to survive and navigate the world it is about being stuck um them against the world mm. So I think that maybe there's a Beckett influence there. Would you mm -hmm. ever like to do Waiting for Godot? Because we were discussing. <laughs> we, we yeah, were, we, we mentioned were... uh, yeah some women casting and we, we were. I'd jump in. Cast it and, yeah, yeah, I'm ready for a play. I'm ready for a play. I think that would be well, nice. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. We were meeting. Yeah, if there was an all, if there because I don't know why Waiting for Godot is always one? it's always an all male cast, but it, it, it has. Be. I think I read that it has been done right. with a female mm. cast, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's been a long while since it's been. And, been on it certainly mm. in the west end mm. um, it's quite it's a about demanding time. play though because i i also when i was doing my one weirdo uh year at drama school we did beckett <laughs> and i remember there was another scene where it was called act without out act without words one and two and i had to be in a sack on the uh <laughs> on the ground and i had to come out of the sack and eat a carrot <laughs> and that was what i did so that would have appealed to rick and aid i think um <laughs> you know just like finding meaning in um questionable acts that are supposed to be meaningful yeah do, do you remember what the audience response to it was did you well, get a round of applause when you ate the carrot no because it was <laughs> because it was students uh, as far as i remember i was short and not fat, but like middle. And the other person uh, who got out of her sack was very tall. So it was a kind of, again, incongruity. It had to be two different physical mm -hmm. types coming out of their sack. But if only I knew what it meant. But that's Sam Beckett. We ought, yeah. to, we ought to find that, Google that. And meanwhile, there was an audience of people watching all going, I get this. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure they did. Yeah, exactly. Um, symbolism. Yeah. Uh, Happy Days was another one where the woman in it, uh, Billy Whitelaw, uh, ended. Uh, she appeared out of a mound, a sort of mad mound, and she was on the top of it saying things. Um, I mean, but it's lovely. I mean, crazy juxtaposition is adorable, isn't it? I just love it. Yeah. 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 It's now seven years, nearly eight years since Rick very sadly passed away. Um, as his friend, is it? It must be quite comforting you, to to you that the entire nation still remembers him so fondly mm. and probably f will forever. Is that is that a comfort to you as a friend? It is because it also means that that there was a truth uh, that people understand that truth, and it, you don't get it very often in people. And he got to do it. Uh, he got to do his original work enough for people to reference it like you are you can have a lot of talented people who never get seen who never get understood who never get the chance but he was charismatic original generous all those things and you know then he did have a chance uh, in those 80s and 90s to go off he did do straight stuff or uh, films in america afterwards he got his his go he did get a go at sampling a lot of the so-called riches that were on offer from someone who came up through stand-up comedy. Mm. And and that's how we all came up. So he got he got his chances to to sample 
the life of a bit of a star, you know, yeah. as well across the pond. Did Rick ultimately always prefer comedy, though? Was was that? Oh, I went to see him in an passion. inspector, real ins uh, uh, the real inspector hound. Yeah, uh, was it that? Yeah, the, at the national. Oh, I don't know, but I'd I I directed that play once. I'd love to have seen Rick Mel do that. That would have been that? fantastic. Was it like by a French author or something? Oh like? no, Tom Stoppard did real inspector. Hound. Oh, okay, yes. It, mm, I don't know if it was that, but it was like in a proper role. Quite early on, he was at the national, okay. um, playing alongside so-called conventional actors and he could do that he could hold his own it oh, was him i think was it called the government inspector yes yes the government yeah. inspector and um again here is a man who uniquely could do it all mm. uh very rare very special um and i'm just delighted that people get it mm. and well, appreciate it he absolutely could have done the straight acting thing you know for full time but we're also glad that he chose to do comedy i think he was quoted once as saying if i can make people forget the grimness yeah. of life yeah. you know i'm i'm happy kind of thing you know yeah. that that was what he wanted to do oh um, yeah and so rare it's great that there are more comedians out there and the platforms change i get all that but you still as an individual, I still need to like and connect with what I see. Mm -hmm. And we all have different tastes, mm -hmm. but I think he, uh, he appealed to most. Mm -hmm. And it was reported recently that um, you agreed with Jennifer Saunders when she said that Ab Fab couldn't be made in what's now coined the woke era. Mm -hmm. What is it about it, do you think, that means that Ab Fab couldn't be made? You know, like, do you, do you agree with that or do you think it would just need a few tweaks here and there? I don't know. Well, because <laughs> I'm not tasked with writing it, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> I'm very grateful for my uh, non-principal role in Ab Fab. Unless you make a thing of like with writing, you know, you, you now have a thing of sensitivity readers. Mm -hmm. Unless you somehow grab the culture as it is and find a way to reflect that without disrespecting it, but flagging it up, mm -hmm. which is what they did in the height of Ab Fab. You know, they flagged up the ridiculousness of all this money and the fakeness of PR world. You know, you, you could maybe mm -hmm. lampoon what's going on now, mm -hmm. but what is the world ready for that or are we still too earnest mm -hmm. about flagging up the inequalities or and injustices it's where i don't know the answer because mm. in your fringe show i might as well say it, you you talked about a lot of topics but also battling sexism and you know being bumped i think from a panel show for <laughs> maureen Lippmann yes. um on on a panel show about women being on panel shows yes um, i mean do you think there's still a long way to go before women will be given that level playing field I do, I do. And I, I don't know what it means. It was interesting. There was a, a very powerful woman called Jude Kelly, who was an early producer of Mamma Mia, and she, she's like really powerful woman, sets up all sorts of organisations. And I'm in awe of anyone who can do that because I struggle so much with that myself. Um, and she was quoted recently of saying, you know, women are just not there yet. We've got the attention on this. We've got an attention on that. New attention, great. But what almost like what about women so it's quite interesting hearing a powerful woman saying that now mm -hmm. uh, literally about a month ago yeah so but it's a complex one because nobody likes to piss people off or grumble you know like we had the grumpy old women of who i like very much as individuals but you go do we want to be grumpy mm. now mm. is that helpful mm. Yeah. Do we want to be seeing as well? But then it came from grumpy old men, so it was an equaliser. So you mm -hmm. could so that is yeah. why. Mm. Yeah. And did you personally face a lot of sexism in your career? I think looking back, people, as I said earlier, aren't necessarily comfortable with women who are a bit. They just do their own thing, mm. and 
I've I don't mean to, but that's me. And mm -hmm. so the, you, there's quite a big cost for not being conventional, but I'd not unconventional on purpose. But yeah, people would assume that they would have sex. But people would have sex if they wanted to, and, and even if they didn't in those days. So I haven't got my head around it, but I'm mm -hmm. not going to lie and say, um, oh, um, I was, I didn't um, have the casting couch. I mean, good luck to those women who uh, were faced with it and walked out with their head held high. I'm not one of those. Mm. <laughs> well, we won't push you further I don't really on, care. On I don't who, care enough, whose casting couch you were on, Helen. But oh, that, quite a few. that is obviously why there is a change in, in, in a shift and that, that is that can only be a good thing for yeah. for moving forward with the time. Surely. But I think everybody has to move forward. So mm. it just takes I mean, the, those disc jockeys who were done for things. I mean, they say that, you know, in those days, the culture, you know, men would just grope mm -hmm. women or is what is grope is grope. Yeah. I'm not defending or promoting it. But, promoting. Uh, I'm not promoting <laughs> groping, <laughs> but consensual um, groping. Is yes, fine. it it just takes some thought. Remembering how I grew up when I was young and female, and largely that is the time when you uh, are an, uh, people kind of want to shag you, basically. When you when, <laughs> when you found yourself in in a casting couch situation, mm. were the I'm assuming it was pr producers because they're, they're usually mm, the ones who are often powerful. the roles. Powerful producers. Do they make it overt or do they try and make it a, a subtle but with a sort of nod and a wink? Or is it? Or do they just sort of, make, uh, do they make it very plain, I want I want sex? Um, I think it's much more indirect than that. You just go, oh, um, I always used to get myself in a situation and it's much easier to do it and it's quicker. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then you... And if somebody is powerful and talking about an interesting program that you're quite interested in and the whole thing isn't unpalatable, then I suppose occasionally those things would happen. So I don't think I was a, I was a victim as people talk. So maybe one has to kind of be layered about this. I think my personality was just a bit um, in those days, like I was brought up not that it was rude to say no yeah and yeah. To, if somebody asked you to dance it was rude and you had to do a dance my father said you have to just do one dance with the person because it's rude otherwise right <laughs> so i'm not clear about it i don't have the answers but i'm not going to lie about what went on see i i haven't learned how to talk about this so i'm mm. experimenting in my dialogue on this so i might then revisit this and go oh, actually i didn't mean that but one has to be quite large when one comes back at these very relevant questions mm -hmm. so i i yeah i need to to look at my own head and my expression of those times we'll give you a transcript of all of this before <laughs> it goes yeah. out otherwise i'll get, get i'm not sued. promoting but i'm not denying mm. and also i need to keep my autonomy and i don't rate the importance of certain things over others so i feel that's still quite empowered in some form but i'm up for discussing it so you are a performer, creative of many talents, lots of strings to your bow, actor, comedian, author, presenter. If you could just have <laughs> one thing that you'd say um, to define yourself, what, what would you pick? I would like to be do more comedy, comedy stand-up, comedy acting, comedy writing. I think that's where I'm ready now because I've shed 
a lot of the nervousness and the fear, as we were saying, of not being liked and not being accepted because I haven't been liked and I haven't been accepted. So the worst has happened. So while I've got a few years left and I don't know how much longer, I might as well just drop into the bit that I began with, which was age 10 doing the sketches to and people laughing. As you've obviously, you know, you've been writing books in recent years. Would that go on the back burner? Well, this memoir, I, I want the memoir to try and say a lot of what we've said today. I want to try and tell the story. Um, and once I've got the memoir done, I'll be free <laughs> to write kind of wacky, like I'd like to write another comedy novel, you know, the freedom of, like we're talking about Rick and Ed. They just went into their heads. They didn't censor. So I think the memoir and talking about oneself is quite hard because you're trying to be truthful and because you represent a lot of things to a lot of people. It's not a free world at the moment. So I'm working out how to express things are quite important. It's very difficult. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about the comedy women in print prize that you um, set up? Can set up yeah. <laughs> um, so I wrote my comedy novel and then amazingly, the only thing I've ever been nominated for was the PG Woodhouse um, Comedy Literary Prize, whatever its official title and that was so exciting didn't win obviously but and I'd been a judge on other like the women's prize and stuff so I thought oh um there isn't a prize for female witty writing and then it was just one of those bad days where you have an idea <laughs> and then you do it and I've had about three in my life uh, this was one was when I wanted to have a garden fate about age 10 and my dad said okay and we did it and it was a success Second one was when I decided to write a play in Edinburgh and I got Miranda Hart to be in it. That was bad. Not Miranda, the play. That was a mistake. Um, and then this comedy women in print I've been doing for five years and it has kind of brought me to my knees um, because I have to be an administrator and write emails and spell and have about 20 things. It's a bit like being a social worker where you have to manage a lot of things at once. The beauty of just being free to do comedy is it's just so pure, You're just doing that. And then everything else, just all the cluttering in your brain, that goes away. So I'm really struggling with it, but people's like people's careers have been made and uh, it does affect people. And we have produced people who become published who wouldn't become published. Mm. I think it's an important thing to do and to have created, but it's a killer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a really great, really great initiative. You know, I, I think it's fantastic. And you're in your fifth year. Can you tell us a bit about the shortlisters? And we'll... Yeah, the shortlisters are um, Dolly Alderton, Mel... I can never say her lovely surname. Gedroik, Thank you, Gedroik. And... Um, some very Lintras, the range of the wit on the page of six titles, which is on the Comedy Women in Print website. That's what's important, that it isn't just one type of comedy, because my whole beef about in the 80s, you could only have two or three women at a time being championed, which was French and Saunders and Ruby Wax. And and that's how we should change. You go, there's this kind of comedy, there's kind of thriller, there's kind of like British kind of comedy, there's a dark kind of comedy, surreal, domestic comedy, mm. mundane kind of comedy. Let's get the range mm. to reflect the parity of where we wouldn't even think with the male titles. Yeah, female comedy shouldn't be a thing in the no. sense that there shouldn't be a differentiation. It's exactly, and it used to have to be about romance. To, you could get away with a romantic a comedy prize but you had to have romance attached so we are kind of it is quite exciting time where one of the judges said oh it's so good it wasn't about somebody having a baby and da, da, da. you know um there's nothing wrong with that 
but you have to be able to create a breadth of of of, of genre really mm. 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 You, and you're an experienced author and writer we are currently in the process of writing a book about bottom do you have any tips on writing a book oh I'll get lots of nice photos, <laughs> yeah, which we've, I'm we've sure you extra to get the, the photo rights and stuff. <laughs> yeah, we? get some nice photos because with something like this, people will be drawn to that, and it will that will tell the story. I think you want some really good, bad, um, knuckle crunching anecdotes. It needs to be full of anecdotes because people take that. That's a takeaway, mm. um, and and some chronology and some background of their families. Mm. You know, what makes a person, where do they come in the family? A little bit of that. Yeah. But just, you know, just celebrate what the 80s and 90s were about and why that, why, why we fell in, why we needed it really, why mm. it pinged for us. When can we expect your memoir to be out Next then, year. Okay, excellent. Please God. We shall look forward to <laughs> that. What year is that for any listeners listening to this in a yeah. year that's not now? <laughs> you're, could... you're complex. Um, <laughs> next year, 2022. Mm -hmm. I, I'm praying for that and I'm asking our listeners, I'm calling myself part of your group now, <laughs> to are? pray alongside that it gets published next year. Well, we we hope that it, it gets published along, uh, alongside ours as well. Yes, It'd be we great could to do see... double whammy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you could sum up Bottom in a couple of lines, how would you sum it up? Uh, two men against the world, being very dirty, hopeless and hilarious. <laughs> and just to ask, what British comedy are you enjoying watching on telly at the moment? Or is it all about obviously reading the, the comedy novels for you at the moment? Uh, I If you said a comedy, I'd probably appreciate it i hate chat shows i can't like i can't watch live television it's too worrying oh really you haven't watched much telly lately then i can't because i'm not in them <laughs> and i get a bit jealous but i do appreciate i did like the peep show um mm. i'm i'm up for anything i'm sure that the one that played the son of rick that comedian's got a new one out greg davies the cleaner yeah. yeah haven't watched that but i'm sure i'd probably enjoy that yeah, yeah good fun i like that, yeah. stuff that isn't pushed mm -hmm. too much having said how much they, they um rick and Abe push it mm -hmm. um i Did like you to watch find man it. down did you watch Man Down? That was no, I haven't watched it on for the very reason I couldn't. It was too painful. Mm. But I know it would probably be very funny. So mm. I'm, I'm full of respect for it. I just I can live yeah. without watching it. Yeah, I understand. Um, aside from Rick and Aid's work, are you a fan of slapstick in general? Like any other slapstick or old um, old silent comedians who do slapstick or anything like that? I think I'm an admirer of the performing element now more than before. You kind of see the skill, um, but I like words. Yeah. I just like satire and words and the joy of words. That's just, you know, like when we said, that's a lovely blouse you've got on. I mean, we all understood that. <laughs> so I just say, Br bring me those words and I am I just love it. So yeah. it, I like word stuff. Smashing blouse just to... Oh, it's smashing. It, yeah. Yes, you're yeah. right. I know a lot of our listeners will be saying it. I was it, biting my tongue right, there yeah. as well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> smashing blouse. Yes, absolutely. We didn't. We we should have opened with what a smashing blouse you have on. Um, <laughs> Same old. Yeah, absolutely do. But um, yeah, the, I'm delighted to hear you still got the dress from the episode. Yeah, that is, that is you could for your book. You could. Um, I'll have to hold it on a hanger. <laughs> I won't be able to get into it, but there's a promise for a photo. That would be yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Can you tell us what Lady Natasha would be up to now? Where did she end up after we, we see her in the episode? Um, what became of her? Well, she might be a temp somewhere in some kind of recruitment office by London Bridge. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She'd have survived. 
I th- I think she, after Richie should have moved on and got her claws into an older rich guy yeah. who, who was near death and then and managed yes. to actually rich shagged him to death and then, and then got the cash yeah. i think there's there's nothing wrong with that whatever works do you think her and lily lineker were in cahoots with each other oh um remind me we in, so we interviewed lisa maxwell so lily lineker's the owner oh, of the love yes. bureau maybe we, money had exchanged hands <laughs> lisa thought that she was in it to get men herself potentially and she was a bit oh. of a she was a bit oh. of a picking up her part i love lisa for that and <laughs> she was uh, yeah maybe she was. maybe she was giving you out to all these rich gentlemen you know to, yeah i think there's a spin-off show they take the proceeds between the two of them yeah. any spin-off show i'm as long as it has its own identity <laughs> and there's dignity to it, um, I'm there. Yeah. Well, we'd we definitely watch that. <laughs> Helen, thank you very much yeah. for joining us here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's thank been you. fun. Thank Before you for we, asking just, me. Just to ask if you've got anything else you want to plug at the moment or. The Comedy it... Women imprint, mm-hmm. the memoir. Oh, and um, also, I am going to be doing a bit of performing uh, at Pride Cabaret. Uh, where Bill Bailey did it, where I introduce a lot of circus acts Ooh. and I will be singing. When will that be? January to March. Fantastic. Singing. Brilliant. Did you hear what? that? Singing. Singing. Oh, uh, what kind of stuff you were you I singing? cannot sing. Oh. <laughs> so I've got a, a little bit of time to learn how to sing. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, man. Okay, People well, we look forward to that. years learning, I'm sure. Yeah, a few <laughs> months. What's the memoir called? Does it have a title? Supply Teacher of Comedy. Nice. <laughs> That's a good title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Helen. It's been an absolute pleasure thank having you, you here. Thank you. Thank you.